Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Okay, I've got to start from the beginning, guys. Sorry. Now, um, okay. <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, Rodrigo uh, goes out with his mates, he gets drunk, he comes home and he finds his fiancée in bed with his younger brother. And out of a fit of rage of jealousy, he kills his younger brother. Um, the governor exonerates him of the crime, basically telling him, I understand you, I would have done the same thing myself. But Rodrigo so racked with guilt, he's so overwhelmed by it that he goes to the local Jesuit um, mission in the town where Father Gabriel's down collecting supplies and he just kind of pours his heart out. And, and Father Gabriel just says to him, look, you, you've got to deal with this guilt. You've got to deal with this guilt. You can't let it consume you as it's doing. He says, I'm going up to the village of the Guarani people. You should come with me. And he refuses because he feels that these people, if they see me, they'll kill me. But the guilt is so much on him that he feels that the only way he can do this is by going to him. But what he does is he ties this rope around his neck and puts, gets this big uh, net full of all his old stuff, who he was, his, uh, his sword, his helmet, his uh, shield, and, and all his stuff. He puts it in this big sack, and he gets the rope, ties it around his neck, and he follows the Jesuit priests into the bush, into the forest, to reach um, you know, these Indian people. And, and this is the scene that, 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 that shows it. If you haven't seen the movie, there's a, it's, it's quite powerful. Rodrigo, here in this scene, just realises that the guilt that he was carrying was that pack. And the Indians, who had every right to kill him for taking away the children and their women and their young people, uh, instead of killing him, they, they cut him free from that guilt. And he discovers in that very moment what forgiveness truly means. Um, it goes on later in the movie. I mean, I could just show you this movie as, as part of the sermon, but it goes on. He reads uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and as he reads it, in, in, in his voice cracking, as he, as he sees the people around him who are living a very simple life, the very people that he was exploiting, uh, he realizes what love truly is and how God works amongst the people. Um, uh, unfortunately, Rodrigo has other lessons to learn, and there's a big lesson at the end of the movie, which is quite powerful, um, again, if you want to watch it, it's called The Mission. I think it came out in the late 80s. Um, there's a very powerful message even at the end of it. But the question I want to ask you all this morning is, uh, is this. Who here has not ever, ever sinned? No one? Who here has sinned? Everyone? If you haven't sinned, you know, please tell me about it. You know, the, the Bible says this, that we're all sinners. And you know, in God's eyes, there is no better or worse sin. Do you know that? There are certain sins he hates, and he, he actually lists them out in some places. But when it comes to sin, there is no better sin or worse sin. Unfortunately, we as Christians today have kind of taken on society's uh, moral basis for sin to say that, yeah, we're all kind of messed up, but there are some really bad sins and there are others that aren't. Who can name a really bad sin in today's society? 
Come on, throw it out. Sorry? Murder? Oh, there's worse than that. Come on. Adultery? Torture? Rape? Steal? For some, it's stealing. You know, when you get home and you find someone has ransacked your house, you really want to put your hands around that person's neck, don't you? Hmm? There are some really awful sins that we could think of, and we as society judge people on because they're really bad. But guess what? There is no good sin. A little white lie is as powerful as murder and that it won't allow you in heaven, it won't allow you in the presence of God. The consequence of both those sins in God's eyes is the same. You with me? So why do we judge people on their sins? Rodrigo deserved the full punishment. He broke families up. He sold people into slavery, kids, threw, <laughs> pulled them out of their families and threw them to work on the sugarcane farms or the coffee farms or the chocolate farms, the cocoa farms, so that people in Europe could live in their nice, happy state. Do you think he deserved a hug? Who here does not feel guilty of their sin? Because if you don't, I'd have to question where you're at. But guilt can be a very, very bad thing. The first thing we need to do, uh, and Augustine says this really nicely, he says this, wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, is to know oneself to be a sinner. And if we don't see this, if we don't see ourselves as sinners, then our view of other people will change. Our view of how we see people will change. Most of us who are judgmental aren't very happy about looking in on ourselves. We avoid it looking at all the dark spaces within ourselves, so we focus our energy on saying, that's bad. But wisdom starts from knowing where you are and that we are sinners, every one of us. Nobody here put their hand up. Don't be a closet non-sinner here. We want them all out, okay? We've been dealing with Psalms over the last few weeks, we started with Psalm 1 that gave us the foundation. We, started, we went to Psalm 8 that talked about, about creation, who we are. And then last week we saw Psalm 23, which talked about our dependency, our protection in God. Well, today we're going to talk about forgiveness. But before we get to forgiveness, we need to look at some things. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is you need to first understand that you are forgiven. You will not change as a person unless you can understand that you are forgiven. Rodrigo was at a point in his life that unless he could be cut away from that big pack that was hauling him back, he could not change as a man. Psalm 32 verses 1 to 2 says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the one whose sin does not count against them 
and whose spirit is in no deceit. Just change a couple of words there. It says in, in the, the bottom there, it says, uh, well, it says, whose sins are covered, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count. There are actually two different words for sin there. That second sin means, uh, in Hebrew, it's iniquities or perversions. You can keep that in mind. Now, this is the way our God is. Whose transgressions, I think one commentary said, um, uh, what was it, purposeful disobedience to God. That's how they translated transgressions. Are forgiven. Sins are covered. And iniquities or perversions, the Lord does not count against them. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are, what are they? Whose sins are, and whose iniquities, do you believe that you are forgiven? Do you believe that God can cover your sins? Do you believe that everything you've done will not be held against you? You need to understand that when you lay yourself before the throne of God, just like Rodrigo did before the Indians, instead of getting the knife to cut your throat, he will get the knife to cut that rope that is holding you back. And he will forgive cover and not count understand you're forgiven but in saying that you need to deal with your guilt now we've got the basis right do you understand that you're forgiven okay i've just given you the word of god okay the first two verses of this psalm just come straight at you you are forgiven now if you choose that you don't want to be forgiven that's a whole other issue but god if you laid at his feet forgives you it's one of only two psalms that starts with the word blessed. Psalm 1, blessed are those who have their foundation in God. Psalm 32, blessed are those who are forgiven. You are forgiven. But you've got to deal with your guilt. God knows us well enough to know that guilt can really rip us apart. Guilt can really weigh us down and like that big pack holds us back. So in verses 3 to 4 he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Though my, through all my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So the first thing God's telling us in this psalm is this. Admit your guilt. Okay, you need to admit your guilt. I acknowledged my sin to you. Okay, we just said it before, who here has not sinned? Who has spent this last week not sinning? We have sinned. Acknowledge it. You need to let it out. The next thing is not only admitting it, but you need to confront it. Do not, I did not cover up my iniquity. This is a difficult thing for us. It's hard for us to acknowledge it. 
And once you acknowledge it, don't cover it up. God wants you to confront it. It's the only way you deal with it. Then you confess your guilt. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Now, sometimes that has to be public. But it doesn't always have to be. Your transgressions need to be confessed to the Lord. You don't need to go to somebody and confess them. Because it's between you and God. Sometimes it might have a detrimental effect on the community. Maybe you need to confront the community. But at the end of the day, it's between you and God. And he's asking you, confront your sin. Deal with it. Confess it. And then forget your guilt. This is your four-point step to recovery from guilt. The Bible's four-step process. Admit it, confront it, confess it, and then forget it because, and you forgave the guilt of my sin, he says at the end of verse 5. Now, I know we have issues with forgiving. Uh, you, are, Kiwis are the nicest people on earth, but everything's inside and very little's forgotten. When God forgives, he forgets. He will not hold it against you ever again. He doesn't regurgitate it. He doesn't remind you of it. He doesn't bring it back up. When he forgives, it's gone. The sin disappears. Now, as humans, that's not that easy. But just so you know, part of our guilt needs to understand that once we are forgiven, it's gone. Who he has guilt that they have a hard time letting go of? Anyone here? Let's be honest. Why can't you let it go? Have you acknowledged it? Those of you who acknowledged it just did it now. Have you confronted it? Have you confessed it? Because at the end of it, God forgives. And if he forgives, gone. Rodrigo, in that moment, in that very moment, they cut that string of that rope away and threw that old pack of who he was, his past, and threw it off the edge there and it hit the water. From that moment on, whatever he had done was gone. It's almost as hard to know or accept forgiveness because sometimes guilt can be a little baby we love to hold on to. But let me assure you this morning, when God forgives, he doesn't hold it against you. We may struggle with forgiveness. We may struggle with one another. We may struggle being forgiven by other people. But in God's eyes, he forgives. He forgives. Four-step process to dealing with guilt. But first, we need to understand that you're forgiven. You need to deal with your guilt. You need to admit it, confront it, confess it, and then forget it. 
But then the, <laughs> there's this one, one verse, and I was talking with one of our members yesterday on the phone, and, and she reminded me of this because it just clicked in my head. This one verse, Therefore let all the godly pray to you while there is still time. There's still time for what? Why this urgency? I think, in the, uh, I think that's actually the living translation. That's not the NIV translation. In the NIV it says uh, something, uh, while you're still re- there to be found. But there's this urgency in this one verse. Now, if we, if we follow the verses beforehand, 4, 5, and 6, it talks about, hey, you're forgiven. Confront your sin, uh, face up to it, uh, confess it. God will forgive you, but keep praying. And don't forget, while there's still time, keep praying. And it's just kind of a, a verse that's thrown in the middle of this uh, one psalm that you can kind of actually kind of look over. But why is he asking us to be urgent in your prayers? Because let me tell you, how long do you think you have to live? Can anyone tell me? Come on, someone's got to know. <laughs> a little bit longer <laughs> we don't know we don't know but God's got this sense of urgency hey you don't have that much time you think you might but hey keep praying because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow who knows whether you'll fall into sin again who knows what you'll do keep praying praying is not always down on your knees and saying the our father and all this he just wants to communicate with you talk to me let me in because i know you i know you're going to let that guilt hold you down i know you're going to feel that you're not forgiven i know you're going to feel that you're weighed under I know you're going to feel inadequate. I know at times you're going to feel people are going to let you down. I'm not going to let you down. I've forgiven you. I want to carry that burden for you. Keep praying. Keep praying. You know, it's, uh, those of you, anyway, I know those of you who do watch football, the, the real football, the English Premier League, I, I watch that. I'm really upset with Sky and all that now because I can't watch it as much anymore. But anyway, if you watch the, the managers on the sideline, Sometimes it looks like they're pleading with their players, you know, what to do and how to do it. And the players seem to just kind of run around and do whatever they want anyway. You know, and these managers are just... And I think God sometimes is on the sideline of our lives trying to will us to do this and do that. And we just keep running our own little game. And whether we're winning or losing, who knows what. But every once in a while, he's telling you, look to me. Talk to me. I can help you out. I can see the playing field better. I know where you're at. Talk to me. And I love it. There's this one sense of urgency in this psalm. Keep praying. Keep praying. And finally, stop being stubborn. Now, here's the test this morning. The questions I've asked you have been pretty straightforward. But who here thinks they are stubborn? Who here who didn't put their hand up, and you know them, <laughs> thinks that they are stubborn? <laughs> oh, there's hugs going on over in that corner. <laughs> yeah. I might have to do some marriage counselling later on. I don't know. Um, we are all stubborn. Let me just say this. <laughs> some more so than others. You know, extroverts tend to be a lot more, uh, I don't know, easier going, they say. Introverts tend to kind of dig their heels in. 
That's as they say. But we're all equally stubborn. And it's interesting because this is one part in this verse. As you're coming towards the end of it, God's done this fantastic thing in this psalm. And, you know, who knows who the writer of the psalm is, by the way? David. David. Uh, who knows the sins of David? Some of you might get embarrassed if some of us come up here and start confessing our sins, right? Would you get embarrassed if I started telling you some of my sins? Well, it depends what they are, Rob. Well, let me tell you, I uh, was hanging up on the roof of my house and I was kind of looking across the road there and there was this wonderful woman, absolutely naked. I got turned on. That was my first sin. My next sin was to go over there and take her out. The third sin was I, I actually took her home. The fourth sin was we copulated. Is that a word? Yes, it is a word, right? <laughs> this is David. Okay, it's not me. Sorry if you thought it was me. Um, no, it was David. He got her pregnant. And then the typical guy that he is who is stubborn. Okay, I just said before we're all equally stubborn, but, but guys tend to be a little bit more usually sometimes. Trying to fix the problem, what does he do? He tries to get her husband out from the battle who he's fighting to protect him. Gets him out of the battle, brings him home and says, go sleep with your woman. Because then if they sleep, well then, you know, it's only a few days apart, then, you know, he'll never know. You, you don't think these things, but if, if David was orange-haired with curly hair and blue-eyed and this guy was black-haired, and you know, you'd kind of wonder, how did I get an orange-haired baby? But anyway, um, he tries to, but, but her husband can't do it. He doesn't feel it's right when all his mates, all his, uh, they're all out fighting and he's at home. So he refuses to. So David thinks over time, tries to get him drunk. Okay, this is just going downhill. I'll get him drunk, then he will go home and she'll sleep with him. I'm pretty sure Bathsheba, this woman, was in on the plot because I'm pretty certain the moment he walked into that, she would have jumped him. So he gets him drunk, but he refuses to go home. So David's last, final, desperate plan is to murder the guy. But not murder him because he can't pull a knife on the guy. So he sends him to the front lines. And then he tells his commander, when, when he goes up to battle and goes to fight, you all pull back. You know, we hate to hear dirty laundry of other people, but yeah, the Bible's full of dirty laundry. And poor old David, for all eternity, every one of us will read his dirty laundry. That's sad. But frankly, not much different than most of us. We may not have the power David had to do what he did, but I'm pretty certain if most of us here were in his position or in his power, who knows how far we would have gone? Who knows how far down we would have gone? Who knows how badly we would have sinned with that kind of power? We think it. And Jesus put that to rest, didn't he? If you think it, ain't no different to you doing it. Ain't no different to you doing it. So here is David writing this psalm. And those first two verses, bang, you are forgiven. You imagine how rotten he would have felt once reality really hit? 
when he was confronted by his sin. But here's God telling him, you're forgiven. But you've got to deal with your guilt, mate. You've got to deal with it. You've got to admit it. You've got to confront it. You've got to confess it. You've got to forget it. Because once you do those three steps, I will forget. You're forgiven. Forget it. Let it go. Move on. Keep praying, though. And stop being stubborn. It says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. God's telling David, he's telling us through this, I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not like, be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. A mule uh, apparently is uh, a mix between a, a male donkey and a female horse. Did you guys know that? I actually didn't know that. So, I, you know, anyway. But apparently a mule is a, a very loyal uh, animal. A strong, it has all the positive characteristics, but it's also quite stubborn. Um, got that from the donkey, I guess. Um, and, and the problem here is, we tend to be stubborn. Stubborn in wanting to hold on to our guilt. Stubborn in the way we live our lives. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, I think it was Friday, and we're talking about stubbornness. And he gave me a three-point plan of how stubbornness works in our society. He said this, he goes, Rob, when you're with a bunch of people and you want to go to the movies and they want to go bowling, hold your ground. We're going to the movies right? Step two, if they insist, continue to hold your ground unless they offer to pay for your bowling, then think about it. (laughs) Once they've all finally had to agree to go to the movies, convince them that it was the right decision because you're never wrong. That's called stubbornness. I thought that was kind of funny. But we are stubborn. We're stubborn in the way we do things. We want to do it our way. I have a way of doing things that I'm pretty sure drives everyone in my family completely nuts. And there's probably a much better way to do it, but this is the way I do it, and that's the way it's going to be. I'm not stubborn. (laughs) Can anyone else... Who hears me on that one? Oh, there you go. Thank you. That's called consistency. Amen. But we are stubborn. And the Lord's saying, hey, you want to make your life easier? Let go. Look, you've admitted it. You're a sinner. You've admitted it. Let it go. Don't be stubborn. Don't let me sit there pulling you at you. At the last verse there, right at the bottom, it says, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. You know, it doesn't say the one who is always obedient, the one who always gets it right, or the one who has a full head of hair and looks absolutely beautiful, or the one who can get master degrees in any kind of ologies you want to put them into, no matter what. No, God's just saying, trust in me. That's it. Do you understand? Just trust in 
me. I was having a, a debate, which I've been having for, I think, the three years that I've been here with the Baptist Union, the regional leadership, and the arguments that we have and all this. It's great because we're theologians and we love to have it. It's tiring sometimes. But there's one debate this week that we're talking about. And I said, you know what? There's one thing that I read in the Bible. I read John chapter 17, Jesus praying to God. And you know what he says? He doesn't say we need to all be in agreement. What does he say? Who knows what he says? That we may all be as one. That we all might be in unity. Just as Jesus is saying, you and I, Father. And God's saying here, don't be a mega world athlete. Don't jump through hoops. Just trust me. Just trust me. Because at the end of the day, I want to forgive you. At the end of the day, I want to lift your burdens. But trust me. Who has dishes with trust? A lot of us do. Almost as much of issues we have with guilt. But if anything here can soothe your heart this morning, just read those two verses at the beginning all over again. And skip to that bottom verse. Because he will heal you. He'll forgive your sins. And don't, don't question that there's no sin that's not forgivable. He will forgive it. He will forgive you. You're dealing with guilt this morning? Uh, there was a study uh, a few years ago. They said the one thing that destroys the fabric of humanity more than any other thing is the guilt that people live with. And in our society today, let me tell you, you want to know why alcohol is so big in this country? You might want to start looking at why people are getting themselves drunk. You might want to start thinking, what is the guilt in their lives? that they're avoiding? What parts are are in them that they're not dealing with? Because that leads to other problems. And you fall deeper and deeper and deeper. Guilt is a horrible thing. And we as Christians, we need to give it to the Lord. There's some good things about guilt. One person told me that it's like an electric fence. It tells you where your boundaries are. You know how far you can go. Once you hit that fence, you need to stop. But I don't think that's what God wants to teach us this morning. I think God wants to teach us that he can forgive you. And there is no sin that you're holding that he cannot forgive. If you take it to the throne, you lay it at his feet, he will forgive you. Just trust him. Let him lift your burdens. Ask our worship team to come up. Don't tell me Psalms doesn't have some good theological teaching. Huh? I was talking with one pastor this past week and he was telling me, oh, but Psalms, it's so airy-fairy, it's all about worship. I'm like, what? No way. No way. There's a depth in Psalms, a reason why God made it the largest book and right in the middle. Because every one of them speaks to us in a different way. 
We saw Psalm 1, just, just get your foundations in God. You saw Psalm 8, you are special. You are a creation of God. You saw Psalm 23, hey, depend on me. When you're in that valley, I will look after you. And then we see today, there's nothing you can do that I cannot forgive. Just come to my throne. Trust me. Let go. Oh, man, you can't. Well, I know that the All Blacks are playing in about 10 minutes, but I know there are some exciting things in life, but this is by far and away and should be the most exciting thing in your life. God can lift that burden off. He can free you. Just trust him. Amen? God's good. Our God is really good. Father God, I just want to lift up the hearts of, of us today, my people, our people, each other. Bless us, Lord God, as we really need to actually kind of focus in. What is it that we're holding on to? What guilt do we have that's pulling us down? Help us, Lord, to acknowledge it. Help us, Lord, to confront it and to confess it. And help us, Lord, to be able to let go, knowing that once you've forgiven us, it's, it's, it's gone. You're not holding that against us anymore. And please, Lord God, help us to have the strength to understand that we don't depend on the people around us to find that forgiveness. We find that forgiveness in you. And though we are called to live at peace as far as we can with each other, that at the end of the day, what matters is your forgiveness, Lord. Help us to trust you in our walk. Help us to trust you to carry our burdens. And help us to trust you to love us for who we are. Thank you, Lord, for your word in Psalms and for the book that it is. It is an awesome book, Lord, that just shows how wide and how far and how long how deep your love is for us. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.